Here in America, along with many countries around the world, including Canada, England, Ireland, and Australia, to name a few, there is a right to be judged by a jury of your peers. It's a concept that can be traced from the ancient Egyptians, to the Greeks, to the Magna Carta, and all the way through to present day. For a lot of us, getting that letter in the mail signals that one service has arrived. For those selected to serve, it means hearing evidence and debating the facts of the case to determine a verdict. Our subject today revolves around that very subject. A group of 12 men, unknown to one another, who must reach a verdict to determine one man's fate. A movie that, despite its box office failure, has become a timeless classic of cinema. So if you're like me, and you enjoy film and the impact and emotions they convey, then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a tall glass of cold chocolate milk, which, I gotta tell you, really hits the spot. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the love of film. Welcome to Glazed Cinema. a well-loved film from 1957, and a movie that has gone down as one of the best ever. This movie is brilliant for so many reasons, some of which we'll get into as we go, I promise. It's a film that seems so simple at its base level, but beneath the surface is so purposeful and beautifully layered. For me, though, I always wondered what the inspiration was behind it. The answer, I found, was in the screenwriter, Reginald Rose. Rose stated that he wrote this movie as a way to remind the American people to be more understanding with one another and work together. Otherwise, he feared democracy would crumble. That sentiment is really well communicated throughout this picture. That despite differing opinions and temperaments, we can come together and work toward a common solution. You may be wondering what the inspiration to that was. What was going on at the time of this movie that made Rose fear for America's future enough to write a movie like this. To answer that, we have to go back in time to an event that affected the country before this film's release in 1957. 
In fact, we're going back to the early 1950s. A time when one movement was making headlines regularly and stirring up controversy, fear, paranoia, and anger. A demagogue who went from relative obscurity to front-page exposure with one bold and dangerous claim that stoked a flame that would end up damaging individual people and forging a rift within the country. His claim was that there were over 200 communists within the American political system, and based on those claims, he knew who they were. His name was Joseph McCarthy, and his Red Scare trials would engage the nation in fear and paranoia, causing a political and social rift. He led trials of people accused of being communist and attacked their character, while threatening jail time or career termination on the basis of little, or in some cases distorted, evidence. This spread fear through the country and caused widespread suspicion and distrust of not only other people, but of the government itself. People began to think that just for speaking up for oneself might land them in just as much trouble as not speaking at all. By the end, in 1954, McCarthy had ruined his own reputation and was relieved of his duties. But it was little too late, as thousands of people had either been wrongly imprisoned or had been blacklisted from their careers. This led several well-known figures at the time, like Lucille Ball, Charlie Chaplin, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Albert Einstein, among many others, to be deeply affected. Within that same year of 1954, Reginald Rose began writing a play to be aired on television. A play about 12 men hearing the case of a young man accused of murder. Twelve men who must, through unity and deliberation, reach a unanimous verdict. It's a story that, when all was said and done, would go from a television play to a full-length feature, and would become an American cinematic classic. Twelve Angry Men is a movie about a jury who, after hearing the evidence and testimony of a trial, are locked in a room to deliberate and determine a verdict. It's within this small room, on the hottest day of the year, and with windows open for air, where both their deliberations and the vast majority of the film take place. As the camera makes its way around the room, upon first introduction, we hear conversations between the jurors, and through that conversation, we also understand their mindset and thoughts about the case. Some also divulge plans for later on, and what they intend to do with the rest of their day. The case they're hearing deals with homicide. The defendant is a young man from a low-income household 
charged with the murder of his own father. The young man is almost universal in appearance. He could be from any background, from any place. And the choice of those characteristics was done very purposefully. Based on the conversation in the room, we can tell that there are some biases and judgments based on the young man's background. The punishment for this crime is a hefty one. After all, murder is the most heinous crime there is, and so weighing of the evidence should be done in earnest. To issue a guilty verdict, the vote must be a unanimous one, and from the interim banter we're hearing, people are pretty confident that there won't be any issues wrapping things up quickly. When they sit down to tally their vote, one by one the men state their verdict, and one by one a guilty verdict is read. That is, all but one. So when juror number eight speaks up as the person who wrote not guilty, the room becomes silent and sharp glances are aimed at the brave man for uttering the negative to everyone else's positive. Seeing as though the jury is hung, they must deliberate more to reach a unanimous conclusion. And thus, our tale unfolds. The beauty of this film is that we see nothing of the trial. We only get a small glimpse of the courtroom, once before and after the large majority of the film is in the small locked room in which they deliberate. The courtroom scenes act like bookends, if you will. And the beauty of that is because we are not present trial, we ourselves put the pieces of the puzzle together along with the men inside the room involved in the deliberation, almost bringing us into the action ourselves to draw our own conclusions. Twelve Angry Men was directed by Sidney Lumet and produced by its star Henry Fonda. Released in 1957, it was the director's debut to feature filmmaking. Before this, Lumet had worked in TV and in theater, and the producers took a chance on the young director seeing what potential was there. Alongside Lumet was an all-star cast of actors, including Lee J. Cobb, Jack Warden, Martin Bossom, and Henry Fonda. Not a bad way to begin your directing career with a cast like that. This movie plays a lot on how we, the audience, perceive what's happening and feel watching the story unfold. Twelve Angry Men is a shining example of how deliberate camera angles and movements add to the story and to the audience's experience within it. One of the feelings emanated is the sense of claustrophobia. Sure, the film is all shot in one room, 
and of course, the actors do a great job selling it. But the angles used were carefully chosen to aid in that feeling. In fact, Lumet describes this in his book, Making Movies. In it, he describes his thought process, stating, I shot the first third of the movie above eye level, shot the second at eye level, and the last third from below eye level. In that way, toward the end, the ceiling began to appear. Not only were walls closing in, the ceiling was as well. The sense of increasing claustrophobia did a lot to raise the tension of the last part of the movie. That happens gradually, and he executes that plan so expertly that we don't really notice it visually, but instead feel it emotionally. I found that really interesting, and find his level of planning and execution on that plan quite amazing. There are so many great scenes and sequences in this film, but one of my favorites is kind of subtle. But one I find pretty powerful. If you've never seen this movie, the 12 men in this small room are deliberating a case on the hottest day of the year with no ventilation, except of course for the open windows on one side of the room, which overlooks the city of Manhattan. Throughout the first half of the movie, we see people sweating, brushing sweat off their brow, and suffering in the heat, all while engaging in pretty intense debate about the facts of the case. Tension is gradually being built up like water on a dam, building pressure and creating cracks until it gives way to chaos. Soon after, it begins to downpour. Rain pours into the room, through the windows, and ironically, the men rush to close the very things that have been their only source of reprieve and contact to the outside world. It's this part of the movie I really enjoy. The rain. In the film, it almost acts like a brief reset button and washes away some of the tension from the room. We get some moments of brevity all while the calming sound of rainwater pouring down soothes us and the men in the room, at least for a bit. This engages in conversation around the room, but when the debating continues, the sound of rain stays with us, and with it comes a new outlook. This simple tool of introducing rain an outside element to a movie about a room indoors is brilliant. It awakens our senses to something new, and we can tell it does much the same to the jurors. There's a lot of great acting in this movie, and a good portion of it feels quite real. It feels like we're actually watching a debate happen in front of our eyes. And a lot of that 
was in thanks to Lumet's decisions during the rehearsal process. He decided he would put all of the actors inside of a room together and have them rehearse their lines with no camera and no filming taking place. All of them would have experiences with their thoughts and their feelings and go through what their characters would be going through in a real-world scenario. This undoubtedly helped in a sort of method acting sense to bring out the performances that we see within the final product. And boy, what performances we get. There are a lot that stand out, but for me there's really two that steal the show, so to speak. And that's juror number three, played by Lee J. Cobb, and juror number eight, played by Henry Ford. Both men are quite opposites of each other. Cobb's character, juror number three, is a sort of hardened, stoic, emotional, almost closed-minded sort of person who jumps to reactions. Whereas Henry Fonda's character, juror number eight, is more methodical, thoughtful, and analytical. These two tend to ebb and flow the room based on their emotions, their words, and their overall demeanor. And of course, there are other great performances, but those two, at least for me, really stand out. I don't know what this movie would be like without those two in this film. When our subject today debuted, it didn't do very well. Really, at all. All things considered, it was considered a box office flop. Now this might be surprising, knowing its reputation today especially, but this was largely in part because the studio didn't strategize its distribution effectively, and the film's chances of turning a profit were never really able to get off the ground. In fact, some of the cast, including Henry Fonda, were never even paid for their roles because not enough money was earned to even fulfill that part of the payroll. Despite this, however, 12 Angry Men is among the best movies ever made, not only in the hearts of fans, but in the minds of critics as well. This was even true when it was released, meeting rave reviews despite the disappointing box office return. In fact, it was nominated for three Academy Awards, one for Sidney Lumet for Best Directing, two Reginald Rose for Writing, and three for the film itself in the Best Picture category. Unfortunately, it didn't win either of those three awards, because in 1958, the bridge on the River Kwai snatched up seven total awards during the program. And even though some stars weren't paid, almost all of them loved their involvement of working on the set and for this film. Even Henry Fonda, even though he almost swore off producing again through his experience with the film, 
maintained that it was one of the best pictures he ever worked on. And since its release, it's been consistently celebrated as a gem of American cinema. This film has had an enormous influence, not just on movies, but outside of the medium as well. Without a doubt, it's become a timeless classic of cinema, and a movie that still entertains and touches people to this day. If you have not yet had the pleasure of watching 12 Angry Men, I highly recommend watching this classic movie about the justice system. It is one you will remember and likely enjoy. If you'd like to watch 12 Angry Men for yourself, I'm pleased to say that you can find it on a wide variety of streaming services. At the time of this recording, you can find it on Tubi. Tubi is a streaming service with a diverse catalog of TV and movie options, and the best part is, it's totally free. Apart from Tubi, you can also find it on Pluto TV which, like Tubi, offers a diverse catalog which is also 100% free. 12 Angry Men can also be found on the Criterion Channel. The Criterion Channel is a service of tremendous value for any seasoned or burgeoning film fan from our friends at the Criterion Collection. The Criterion Channel offers pricing options of either $10.99 per month or $99 per year, which is what I chose to do. Lastly, you can also find it on services like Google Play, Apple TV, Redbox, and Vudu for $3.99 to rent. This episode was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this podcast, Tell your friends and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content, including hints about episodes before they air. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website at glazedcinema.com. There, you'll find more info about the show and a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, The blog page on our website features each episode in written form as well. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema. Cinema.